All right, everybody, we're going to be talking today. Uh, we're still on the subject of what do we deserve, and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, I deserve to be counted out, but God gives me another chance. Aren't you glad that we serve the God of the second chance, the third chance, the hundred chance, the thousandth chance, the million chance? Uh, our God just constantly, uh, the Bible calls it that he is long-suffering, and he is very patient with us. And so aren't you glad that we serve the God of so many chances? And uh, we're going to look at a, a familiar character in the Bible today that thought he had uh, failed miserably and would never do anything for the Lord again. Um, he deserved to be counted out. It's the story of Peter. He deserved to be counted out, but God uh, gave him another chance. Jesus forgave him, and Jesus restores him, and Jesus puts him right back on the front lines. And he actually ends up doing more for the Lord after this event than he did before this event. So um, let's kind of start talking about, have you ever had a personal failure in your life? Uh, if you've lived long enough, all of us have had some major failures in our life. Uh, maybe you let yourself down. Maybe you let someone else down. Maybe you let God down. Maybe, uh, maybe it's that you didn't perform in a way that you thought you were supposed to. And, uh, and you feel like you just totally blew. Maybe you had a chance for something. You feel like you totally blew it. Um, maybe you feel the weight of your failure. Uh, and all of us, unfortunately, at one time or another, we fall short and we let ourselves or we let God down or we let other people down. And sometimes we feel like these are events that are just, that's it. It's over. And many times we want to put a period right there. And I, I heard a preacher say one time, and I think it's a great quote, uh, don't put a period where God puts a comma. You see, with God, when we fail, when we mess up, when we stumble, God just puts a comma because he knows that's not the end of the story, and he, he just keeps us going. Uh, many times we fail and we stumble and we feel like, well, that's it. It's over. I'm just going to put a period there, and I'm not, I'm gonna, not even going to try again. And the Lord says, don't you dare put a period there. That's just a comma. This is not the end of the story. It just keeps on going, and uh, you can do even greater things. And so I want to encourage you with that today. Uh, it is not about your past. The Lord is not interested in your past. The Lord is interested in your future. Where are you wanting to go? Where are you wanting uh, to end up? And what do you want to do from this day forward? Uh, the Lord says, I can take your sin, and I can forgive it. I can put it uh, under the blood, and I can cast it as far away as the east is from the west so what a wonderful thing so let's look at the story of Peter and uh, it, it starts uh, uh, in Luke chapter 22 and this is before Jesus was betrayed and he told his disciples that tonight you will fall away on account of me and Peter is one of these guys he's very bold but sometimes uh, he lets his mouth get ahead of his brain and so Peter just says hey not me Peter is just bold, and uh, he's just kind of one of those guys, talk first, think later. And he says, even if everyone else does, I won't, Lord. If everyone else denies you, if everyone else falls away, I will not do that. And, in fact, to prove it, they come to, get, uh, they come to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? He's right there by Jesus. He takes his sword out, and he whacks the guy's ear off. 
And Jesus reprimands him, says, this is meant to be Peter. And he takes the guy's ear and he puts it right back on, super glues that ear uh, right back on. So we see at the beginning of this story in Luke chapter 22, Peter is right there next to Jesus. He's being very bold and he is, uh, he is saying, Lord, I'm with you. I'm going to go all the way to the cross with you. That's how the story starts out, okay? Um, so, uh, but by the end of the story, if you've read it, you know it. Um, Peter denies even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus tells him uh, this is going to happen. Uh, so let's read it. Uh, we're going to pick it up at Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 54 and 55. It says this, And having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now I want you to pay attention uh, to those words right there. Uh, this is after they've gotten Jesus, after they've arrested him, and then they lead him and they bring him to the high priest's house. And at this point, now you remember I said that before this, when they arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Peter is standing right next to the Lord. Uh, but you notice now that they've arrested him and they're taking him to the high priest's house. Peter is now following at a distance. We're going to kind of focus on that later. Uh, then verse 55, it says, Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and they sat down together, Peter sat among them. All right? So what, you, what I want you to really catch on to is at the beginning of the story, Jesus is uh, Jesus and Peter are very close. They're in close proximity to each other. In fact, they were so close that you know this is where G where Peter took out the sword, and he's going to literally physically defend Jesus. All right, so he's right next to him. But as things progress, Peter kind of falls back into the crowd, and he follows at a distance. He doesn't want to get too close. So all that bravado, all that uh, all that courage that he had at first. It's starting to slip away as he sees things kind of progressing and getting out of hand and seeing that this is, oh, this is going to get really bad. He starts to slip farther and farther away into the distance. All right. Um, so Peter made many mistakes during this story, but we're going to concentrate on two major mistakes uh, that Peter made. Number one, Peter underestimated his own weakness. Now, this is something I think that we as human beings we are, uh, we're all guilty of. I think many times we get like Peter and we get very full of ourselves. We get very arrogant. We get very prideful and we just say, no, not me. No, I, I, I could never do that. I'm not capable of that or I'm not capable. You know, I'm going to always live for the Lord. I will always be close to the Lord. And, you know, many people have said that. And then at some point or another, because of circumstances in their life, or because of things that happen, or because of the pressures of life, they find themselves very backslidden. And so uh, how do we end up backslidden? It doesn't happen overnight. Many times uh, when you're backslidden, it happens over a period of time, and it is a slow, uh, Casting Crowns had a song called Slow Fade, and it's a, uh, many times when we find ourselves in the desert and backslidden, it was a slow fade. It didn't happen overnight. It was just a slow process that that happened. And uh, we look up and we say, well, how, how did I get here? How did I get so far away from the Lord? And uh, many times we don't understand because we were so confident that we would never fall away. We would never um, not be there with the Lord. Um, here's what we need to understand. You and I, we're human beings, and we are born with a sinful nature. 
And so you don't have to work to be sinful. Uh, it's built inside of you. Then one day you heard the gospel, and one day uh, if you're saved, you responded to it. And you admitted you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior, and you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. And by the way, if you've not done that yet, uh, man, I want to encourage you to do that today. He is always as close as a prayer away. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer at the end of this uh, if you've never done that. But if you've, if you've done that, you ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart. And the Bible puts it this way. It says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we ask Jesus into our heart. So now you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, but you also are still covered with this sinful nature. You're still flesh and bone, and you're still human. You're still a human being, and so you still live in this fleshly, sinful body. And so now there is this war that goes on. We've talked about this many times, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not something that happens necessarily outside. It's what's happening inside of us. As Christians, there is now going to be this spiritual warfare between the Spirit of God that lives inside of me that wants to do the right thing and my flesh and my blood and my bone and my human condition that is sinful and that says, no, I don't want to do the right thing. I want to do what, what the flesh wants, all right? And so that's a lot of what spiritual warfare is. There's spiritual warfare that goes on outside of us, but guess what? Most of the spiritual warfare that you and I are going to encounter in our own lives, it's going to be right here inside of us, and we're going to fight that battle. And uh, I've always told people, many people say, well, I'm so aggravated by this. When will this stop? When will I stop having this internal warfare going on? And I always tell people, uh, only when you go and you're with Jesus in heaven. Uh, because as long as you're here on earth, as long as you're alive and breathing in this fleshly body, there's always going to be that warfare going on inside of you. All right, so... Uh, We've got to understand uh, that we are capable of anything. Uh, it says this in 1 Corinthians 10, If you think you're standing firm, be careful. The minute that we get prideful and arrogant and we stand up and say, Well, I'll never do this or I'll never do that or, uh, Lord, I would never forsake you and, Lord, I, I'm going to serve you all my life and I'll never wander away from you. Yeah, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, When you think you're standing firm, be careful. Because when you think you're the strongest is when you are truly the most vulnerable. And listen, not only does the Lord know that, the devil knows that, and he knows that very well, and he is waiting for us to get to that point sometimes. In our self-righteousness, in our arrogance sometimes, that's all the devil's waiting for. He's just kind of hanging back, and he's waiting for us to get full of ourselves to say, I'll never do that. I mean, look at those sinners over there. I'll never do that. I'll never act like that. And listen, that's the worst thing you can do. Uh, at that point, sometimes we kind of have to get humbled and knocked down. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we learn it the hard way many, many times, all right? Um, so I want you to look at this statement. Uh, acknowledging weakness is the first step to true strength, all right? Acknowledging your weakness is the first step to true strength. Uh, if you've ever been a part of a, uh, any kind of a, rep a recovery program like uh, Celebrate Recovery, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, any of those, uh, that is what they tell you is the first step. I have to admit that I have a problem. You're never going to begin your recovery until you admit I have a problem, and that problem is out of my control, and I need some help. You're never going to begin your recovery. You can't begin the healing until you admit that you're wounded. All right? So uh, the number one, uh, again, was uh, that uh, he underestimated his own weaknesses. Let's see what number the number two thing is, 
uh, he followed Jesus at a distance. Now, you remember uh, we read that scripture, and I told you pay special attention that he followed at a distance. What do you mean by that, Mark? Let me explain it this way. Every one of us, you and I, you choose how close you are to Jesus. Um, It's a choice every day that you and I make. Uh, If you want to get closer to Jesus, then you have to spend more time with him. You have to spend more time in prayer. You have to spend more time reading his word. Uh, But that's a choice every single day. I can choose that today and then get up tomorrow and just say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. I got up late today. I don't have time. And maybe I will not talk to or acknowledge the Lord at all that day. Just because I had success yesterday, just because I had a close walk with the Lord yesterday, does not mean I will have it tomorrow. It's my choice every single day that I get up. And listen, it's hard on a day-to-day, every single day basis. Listen, that's the hard part of Christianity, staying close to Jesus. Getting saved and giving your heart to Jesus and letting him wash your sins away That's the easy part because he does all the work. You're saved by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast, all right? So getting saved is easy. That's just the very first step, though. Then you've got to try to live for him. And that's where the hard part begins because then it's really up to me. I choose how close I want to be to Jesus, all right? Notice in Peter's life, at the beginning of the story, He's very close to Jesus. He's right next to him, and he's saying to him, Lord, he's looking him right eyeball to eyeball, and he's standing right there with him so close he can reach out and touch him. And he says, Lord, I will never forsake you. Even if everybody else falls away, I won't fall away. But then as they come, as they arrest him, as they take him away to the high priest's house, and things begin to get worse and worse, and Peter sees, all right, this is going to be bad. Then Peter begins, he chooses to get farther and farther and farther away. He had just got through telling the Lord, Lord, I'm going to be right here with you. He was literally telling him, Lord, I'm going to go all the way to the cross with you. And then it didn't take but just a few moments, and he started to slide back farther and farther and farther away. He created a distance. This is what I find, unfortunately, to be true with most of us as Christians. Um, It is more comfortable for you and I to follow Jesus at a distance. Um, You know, a lot of people say, I really want to be close to the Lord. You know what? I find a lot of people that's really not a true statement because the closer you get to the Lord, probably the more ridiculed you're going to get, probably the more people are going to make fun of you, probably the more people are going to to, um, call you names. Uh, It's to get really up close to the Lord you're going to, he's, that's what it means when it says you, you need to deny yourself and take up my cross. So he says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they ridiculed me, they're going to ridicule you. If they said nasty things about me, they're going to say nasty things about you. And so to get really close to Jesus means to identify with his suffering. And quite honestly, most of us, be honest, we couldn't handle that. And so many of us, what we do is we purposely Try to worship the Lord from a distance. Well, you know, I don't want to get too close to the Lord. I, you know, I love the Lord, but I don't want to be one of those fanatics. And I don't want to be, you know, like a weirdo, one of those Jesus weirdos. So I'm just going to keep God, and I'm going to keep Jesus at arm's length. And I'm going to keep him at a distance. And it's a lot, that's a lot more comfortable for me. You know, that way, if things get too intense, if there's too much sacrifice that needs to be made, then I'll just kind of step further to the back. Uh, 
because, you know, I really don't want to be that close. And quite honestly, we want all of the benefits of following Jesus without the cost of following Jesus too closely. That's exactly what Jesus meant when he said that you are to deny yourself and take up my cross. You are to identify with his suffering. That means uh, I want all the benefits. Listen, everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody wants eternal life. Everybody wants that uh I'm being facetious here, but everybody wants that, uh, that fire insurance, that ticket to heaven, so I, so I don't go to hell. We want all those benefits. I want, I want the Lord's blessings. I want the Lord's protection. I want the Lord's blessings. I want him to give me financial blessings, physical blessings. I want all the good stuff, but all that hard stuff about taking up my cross and denying myself, mm-mm, no, that's, that's too hard. That does not sound like fun. I want all the good stuff. And this is the problem with most Christians today. We want all the good stuff, but listen, if you're going to get really close to the Lord, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to not care what people think. You're going to have to, you know, if God calls you uh, to be a missionary, then you're going to have to be strong enough uh, to even say to your family, this is what God's called me to. And even if it costs me my life, even if it costs me my safety, uh, if it costs me, uh, you know, the comfort of financial gain, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go do this. Listen, uh, you know, if God calls you into ministry, it may mean uh, quitting a really uh, good career, making good money, because you feel like this is what the Lord wants you to do. Listen, when you get closer to the Lord, this is why a lot of people say, mm, that's, that's a little too much. I don't want to get too close to the Lord because he might ask me to do something I don't want to do. Can I guarantee this? If you're going to get close to the Lord, I can almost guarantee you he's going to ask you to do some things that are going to be hard. But we want all the benefits but we don't want any of the stuff that costs us anything. And the Lord said, if you're going to really have that abundant life and you're going to have that life full of purpose and meaning, then it's, it's going to cost you something. There will be some suffering. There will, listen, I, and I'm not downplaying the benefits of living for the Lord, but he didn't, he didn't die on a cross just so we could all be comfortable. He died on a cross so that the world might know him. Many of us think that Jesus died for my sins, and it's all about me. Listen, Jesus did die for your sins, but it is not all about you. Jesus died for one purpose and one purpose only. His whole life was to glorify the Father. And even the act of dying a cruel death on that cross was to glorify the Father. Jesus is not interested in my comfort He's not interested in your comfort. He's not interested in giving me an easy life with no problems. He's interested in that the Father gets the glory, that the Father be high and lifted up. And uh, it costs Jesus everything. So guess what? There are going to be times it's going to cost you something. It may not cost you your life. It may not cost you having to physically suffer. But guess what? It's most likely going to cost us something as we get close to Jesus. But can I tell you this? It's so worth it to get to the end of your life. I want to get to the end of my life, and I want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want to tell you, I don't think you're going to hear those words without it costing you something. Obviously, it's not. It's probably not going to cost us what it cost Jesus, but I'm here to tell you it's, uh, it's going to cost you something. It'll cost you some comfort. It'll cost you uh, maybe some financial gain. It's, it's liable to cost you almost uh, all things in your life, all right? So uh, be careful about those that want to preach an easy gospel, all right?
let's go on with the story. Luke chapter 22, verses 56 through 60. And this is what happened uh, as things are progressing now. Uh, Peter's gotten farther and farther away, more of a distance. And he's sitting with a crowd. He's trying to kind of blend into the crowd. And this says, And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, Jesus, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And then after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then, after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And then immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. All right. Um, Here's the thing. Peter, by this point in the story, he has created a ton of distance between him and Jesus. And he's nowhere near Jesus right now. He's uh, with, a, with a crowd. He's trying to probably stay close enough to kind of hear and see what's going on, but yet not be identified with Jesus. But here's the thing, and this, is, this parallels with your life and my life. Peter didn't fool anyone but himself. <laughs> it's just like you and I. When you and I are backslidden and far away from the Lord, did you know most of the time you're not fooling anybody? You think you're fooling everybody. You think nobody can see you. You think nobody can tell the sin in your life. You think nobody can see the problems that you have in your life. When the reality is, if you ask most people, most everybody can see it. And this was no different. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew who Peter was. And Peter wasn't fooling anyone. Uh, Peter did not fool anyone but himself, and that is just like us. You know, many times we find ourselves with a problem, and maybe we have developed an addiction. Uh, Maybe it's something that we thought we had control of, and uh, then we find out we don't have control of it. It has control of us. And uh, when you first try to approach somebody about that, if they're in denial, they will say, I don't have a problem. No, I don't have any problem. I can quit any time I want to. Anybody ever heard that one? Anybody ever said that one? Uh, I can quit any time I want to. I'm not weak. I'm strong. You know, we're taught here in America, and especially in Texas, and this is not necessarily a bad thing. It's good to have pride. It's good to have responsibility. But we kind of have this mentality in the United States, and especially in Texas, Bless God, you know, you take care of yourself, and if you get down, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Uh, But many times, that can be a a prideful, arrogant attitude of, I don't need anybody's help. I, you know, it's, uh, I am in total control. I'm not weak. I'm strong. I will pull myself out of this. Um, And it, it seeps down into your family. And you, your marriage may be struggling. And I can guarantee you, if your marriage is struggling, everybody around you can see it. Uh, certainly your spouse can see it. But then I can tell you, probably most of your family sees and feels the tension. Sees and feels that y'all are not getting along, that you're not jiving, that you're fighting more than you're getting along. And, but many times we're like, nah, my marriage is fine. My spouse, yeah, they, they get mad at me, but they'll get over it. And we, we just get in complete denial that we need anybody's help. And I'm here to tell you, 
I need the Lord's help. You need the Lord's help. You, do, you don't always have the power to pull yourself by, by your bootstraps. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. I need my Savior to come and pull me out sometimes and forgive me and dust me off and wash me clean and put, restore me and put me back, all right? Um, so I want to encourage you today. Uh, man, just uh, admit you have a problem. That's the first step. You cannot recover until you admit you have a problem, all right? Uh, so let's, uh, let's kind of finish out the story. Uh, Luke 22, verses 60 through 62, kind of where we ended just a minute ago. It says, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Now, again, this is how we know Peter was close enough to still, still see what was going on but he distanced himself from the Lord. But wherever the Lord's at, he turns and he looks at Peter, and the minute that Peter locks eyes with him, it says, Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. Peter at that point realized he'd messed up. And he had done exactly what the Lord said he would done, uh, was going to do. And the rooster had crowed, and he had denied him three times. I want you to think, kind of get the picture with me. At this point, Jesus had already been beaten. Uh, his face was probably black and blue, probably bruised where he was probably not even recognizable. His eyes were probably swollen almost shut. His face is covered in blood. And... In the midst of all this, he looks over and he locks eyes with Peter. And Peter immediately knows that he has, he has failed. And the Lord had told him he was going to fail. He had gone from, Lord, I'll never leave you. Everybody else will walk away. I will literally walk to that cross with you to denying, literally almost cursing that, no, I don't know this man. Uh, try, again, just trying to save his own skin. Uh, didn't want to didn't want to be associated with him because he knew it might cost him his life okay uh, can I ask you a question uh, once Peter was convicted and realized what he'd done the Bible says that he went out and he wept bitterly can I ask you a question when was the last time that you wept over your sin you know you and I I don't think we experience brokenness enough and many times we sin and we just kind of oh, well I'm real sorry Lord but many times what we're saying is I'm sorry I got caught but we're not really sorry that we broke the heart of the Lord but Peter went out and he wept bitterly because Jesus was not only his savior he had he was his friend he had walked with him for three years and he knew that he had betrayed his friend and he had walked away from him when he needed him the most. And can I tell you, that's the way you and I need to see our sin. That when we have broken fellowship with God, we've broken the very heart of God. Many times we take our sin too lightly. And, uh, you know, it's not enough to say, Lord, I'm sorry I got caught. We need to say, Lord, I'm sorry that I broke your heart. Lord, I'm sorry that I've broken fellowship with you. Lord, I'm sorry that I 
don't think enough of my relationship with you to repent of it and turn away from it. And so, Lord, I, I'm weeping over my sin. I believe when we experience true revival, it's going to be about repentance and brokenness. And that's not happy times, clapping, jumping a pew. Uh, when true revival comes, I believe it brings about brokenness and repentance and weeping over our sin. And so that's exactly what happened with Peter. Can I tell you today, I'm just going to kind of fast forward, that um, this happens, and then the Lord is crucified. He dies. They put him in a tomb. And then on the third day, he, he arises, and we celebrate that with Easter uh, last Sunday. And he is a risen Savior. But then what happens is he appears to the disciples again. And if we were to fast forward and then you go to John chapter 21, and you can go and read that later, uh, Jesus is with them in resurrected form, and he appears to them. And he's there on the seashore, and uh, if you remember the story, he asked Peter three times. Now, how many times had Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ? Three times. So we get there on the seashore after he's resurrected, and he asked Peter this time three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And then a third time, to represent the three times he denied him, he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter, I believe, began to weep again and just say, Lord, you know I love you. And Lord, I, I can't undo what I did, but Lord, yes, you know I love you. And the last part that he gives him is, then feed my sheep. Then you fast forward to the day of Pentecost. This same guy that denies Jesus three times literally curses to say, I don't know him. Not only am I not going to stand with him and go to the cross with him, I don't even know him. So, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and God uses this total failure uh, on the day of Pentecost. Peter is chosen to stand up and be the spokesperson. The Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to speak, and it says on that one day, 3,000 were saved. And then Peter goes on to start the early church as we know it and Christianity as we know it, and he literally becomes the rock upon which the church is built. And Peter becomes a great soul winner, starts churches, and literally these disciples spread Christianity all over the known world at that time with no technology, no internet, no uh, nothing that we have today. They literally turned the world upside down. And Peter was that rock that even today, this church and every other church and all of Christianity is built upon. Peter the failure became Peter the success. So here's what I want to encourage you with today. Success is not final. And failure is not fatal. All right? Here's what I'm saying to you. When you have success, that's a wonderful thing, but don't let it go to your head. You don't need to get too proud of yourself. Don't let the pride and the arrogance come in because the Bible warns about it. Uh, pride comes before a fall. So uh, success isn't final. You're going to have some successes, but guess what? Uh, they're not going to be final. Think you're going to fail again at some point. But the failures that we have, they're not fatal. 
Success is final and failure is not fatal. It's not the end of the road. Again, that is not your period. Uh, God says that's just a comma. That's just a little pause, and you can go on from there. Many people, though, they choose to stop right there. They mess up, and they go, you know what? This is too hard. I don't want to do this living for Jesus. I obviously can't do it anyway, so I'm just going to stop right here. And uh, sadly, I've known many, many Christians that just stop in their walk with the Lord, and they never progress. They just stop. Once they have a failure, they just stop. But I'm here to encourage you today. You, we're all going to fail. It's not if you're going to fail. It's when you're going to fail because we're human beings. We're sinners by nature. So we're all going to fail. But I want to encourage you today. God is not interested in your past. He can forgive you of your past, and it can simply be a comma, and God's got something better for you. God's got something new for you, all right? Just because you failed at something doesn't mean you are a failure. Failure is an event in your life. It's not who you are as a person. Many people, and I've had my share of failures, and sometimes we get we fail miserably, and we just feel like this is a big one, this is a failure that I will never be able to move on from, and so this is the end. God could never use me. God's done with me, and I'll never be able to get past this failure. Uh, can I say this? It is not final. God says, I'm not done with you yet. Um, just because you failed at something doesn't mean you're a failure. Failure is an event. It's not who you are as a person. Many people, once they fail and they have a major failure in their life, they feel like that's uh, I am now. They, they call themselves a failure, and that's how they identify. I am now a failure and I'll never get over this. But God says, I'm not going to waste a failure in your life. In fact, I would say in my life, as I've gotten older and gotten a little wiser, one of the things I would say is uh, God uses the failures in your life a lot more than he uses the successes in your life. Uh, some failures in your life are a good thing because they're going to teach you some things uh, that the successes never could. I have learned more from the failures because those failures are etched in my memory. God never wastes a failure in your life. God is going to use your failure. In fact, I would say this, that many times God will take your greatest failure and he'll make your greatest ministry and your greatest success out of it. I have a friend that was a part of a Grace Point Church that we started, and uh, he, um, he had spent time in prison. Um, but before that, he had surrendered to the Lord. He had lived for the Lord, and then he, he found himself in trouble and ended up spending time in prison. He gets out of prison, and uh, we go to lunch one day, and he'd been coming to church, and he said, I'm very discouraged because I've, I surrendered to the ministry, but now nobody would want me. I'm, I'm a marked man. I've spent time in prison, and what kind of ministry could I possibly have now? And uh, that day, uh, I just said, well, you know, have you ever thought about prison ministry? Uh what greater person to have a prison ministry than somebody who's been there and done that and spent time? Who's going to identify to those men as much as somebody who's actually been there? And uh, he said, well, you know, I never thought about that. Um, and he began to pray about that. Now he has a wonderful uh, prison ministry, uh, goes and uh, preaches in all, uh, many of the prisons around here, and guys get saved and guys get their lives turned around, and he has a thriving uh, ministry. Uh, through through his failure, what he thought was the end, what he thought was the death of his calling, 
actually was the birth of a new calling, all right? So God's never going to waste that failure in your life. God's going to not only teach you something through it, he might actually, it might actually be the part of your greatest success. Uh, Peter's guilt was turned into grace. Uh, listen, you can't change the past. And maybe you're carrying the weight of that shame and that guilt. Um, I've done that in my life. Uh, but I'm here to tell you, uh, turn that guilt into grace. The Lord says, I'm not interested in your past. I'm only interested in what you've done. Two weeks ago, we talked about the story of the woman caught in adultery. And uh, Jesus forgives her. You know, he tells the men, uh, the, that, the ones without the sin cast the first stone. They all walk away. And Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're not here. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So the Lord simply forgave her and said, go on and sin no more. Start a new life. Start something new. Uh, the Lord can take your failure, wash it in the blood of the Lamb Jesus, and turn it into grace. All right. And uh, Peter, one of the greatest things he did was he turned his failure into faithfulness. Um, he thought it was over. When he had done something so terrible to the Lord and then the Lord dies, he thinks that's it. It's over with, but the Lord wasn't finished yet. He restores Peter, and then Peter turns that failure into being the most faithful of all the disciples and literally the very early church. And what you and I are, uh, take advantage of today was literally built upon the rock, uh, Peter. And so he turned his failure into faithfulness. All right? So, uh, man, I want to encourage you today. If you're carrying the weight and the shame and the guilt of your past, uh, go to the Lord. Uh, he is long-suffering. He is merciful. He is graceful to you and I. Um, if you would, let's pray together. I never want to waste a moment. Uh, if, uh, if you've never asked the Lord Jesus into your heart, I always want to give an opportunity for you to pray and uh, ask the Lord in your heart or maybe recommit yourself to the Lord. I've had some people message me back that uh, I, uh, I prayed that prayer with you last week. And so it's a wonderful thing, and uh, there's no telling where this video will get. So if, if you're watching this and you say, I'm not sure what my relationship with the Lord is right now, uh, don't, don't have to wonder. We don't have a no-so salvation. Uh, we don't have a I think so salvation or a hope so salvation. We have a uh, I know so salvation because it is what he does on the cross for us. So pray this prayer in your heart and your mind if you want to. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And right now, the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I need you, Lord, and I need your salvation. I believe you died on the cross for me, and I accept what you did for me. Jesus, save me from myself. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to uh, comment on the on, on the. Uh, Facebook page. Uh, if you want to call me or send me a text, uh, I would love to share uh, some more uh, with you and uh, would love to send you some materials uh, about being saved. And uh, my cell phone is 903-399-3284. So call me or text me. Um, and again, I want to encourage uh, uh, everyone to share this video uh, so that the gospel can get to as many folks as possible. I love you. And I thank you, and I look forward to being with you again. But until then, God bless you, and I'll see you next week.